You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. I've learned that you don't do it alone. You learn so many different things from so many different coaches. That's an elite learning environment. Failure is not a problem. How you deal with it is a problem. How to be resilient. How important it is to infuse joy in the process of learning. To be a good coach, you've got to give more than you take. What an interesting life it is to be a leader. Hello and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast, where we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, and so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our families, our colleagues, and our teams better. Today's episode is on the topic of competitive excellence, and we are joined for the discussion with one of our past guests, the great coach Hugh McCutcheon, who has just written a book called Championship Behaviours. Hugh was a volleyball player himself, a coach, and is now an athletic administrator in the USA. He's most noted for winning the 2008 gold medal with the USA men's team and the silver medal at the 2012 Olympics with the USA women's team. As always, the conversations with Hugh are challenging, they're deep, and they always get me to think differently about the activities of my own team. Some of the key highlights from this discussion were how a focus on competitive excellence helps you build a life of achievement and not solely a focus on the winning achievements in your life. His core philosophy of preparing yourself to be at your best when the best is needed and how you honour your commitment to your own life by trying to be the best you can be. And this requires you to not just look at being better than your competitors, but instead requires you to reframe competition so that you see your competitors as necessary for you to improve your own performance. And just before we go to the interview, if you're looking to improve your own leadership skills, then you can reach us at elevatedleadership.com.au. We are a team of executive coaches, of which I am one, 
who can help coach you towards the leader you aspire to be. And now, please enjoy our discussion with Hugh McCutcheon. You're listening to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. Hugh McCutcheon, good morning and welcome back to the Great Coaches podcast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me again. It's always a pleasure, mate. Keen to chat with you. This time we're going to talk about competitive excellence. But before we get going, Hugh, the question I always ask, where are you in the world and what have you been doing so far today? Well, uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a pretty good day of it. Uh, A few meetings, uh, got some work done, even had had time for a workout. So uh, here we are, yeah, ready to go. Well, let's jump straight into it then. And I want to pick up some of the themes that come from the book, you that you recently Mm. championship behaviors. And there was one central idea in the book, which really resonated with me as both a parent, a partner, and a business executive. And it's talking about competitive excellence. And you define this as taking control of the things you can and defining who you're going to be in those moments. And I guess I want to start, Hugh, by asking, how does a focus on competitive excellence help? Well, listen, I, I appreciate you asking because I, a lot of people have, have well, how about this? That, that idea has really resonated with others. So you're not alone. And in, in my personal journey as someone that's lived in the competitive arena for a few decades, um, being able to reconcile the idea of competition, and I say the idea perhaps relative to the popular narrative around competition and formulating this bigger concept of competitive excellence um, is something that's been really important in my uh, evolution as a coach and an athlete. Um, And so to to, to your question, yeah, I mean, there were two things that, that are part of that definition. One is this idea of controlling the things you can, and, and that's, rooted in a lot of different con- concepts, the nobility of best effort and 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 also taking full responsibility for the, for the elements in that competitive equation that you can, knowing that there are elements in the competitive equation that you can't take control of. So, you know, you've got to make sure you're doing everything you can to be successful in those moments. And then there's that added layer of defining who you are in those moments, which I also think is pretty important because, you know, we have this, this idea of somehow the, the win means we're good or we're better and the loss means that we're not good or we're worse or something. And yet uh, I don't think it's quite as clean as that. You know, I've, I've, I've been part of some big matches and and we've won and it's been great. And I've been part of some big matches and we lost and it's been hard, but I don't think at any moment within that, did I think, geez, we, we weren't committed to excellence. We weren't trying to do everything we could. I mean, if we got beat on the day, we got beat on the day, but that shouldn't diminish for example, four years of work, or, or it shouldn't validate four years of work. You know what I mean? The work was the work. It was either good enough or it wasn't. And whether it it somehow gets defined or gets distilled to this one moment of competition, well, how about this? Well, this one moment of competitive outcome, uh, I think that's where it gets a little sticky. I think the outcomes make it a bit complicated. And I think when we think about the bigger responsibilities we have in life, the idea that we're going to compete and, and we're all competing whether we like it or not, right? We're all competing in some way. And, and maybe we'll get to that in a, in a more kind of ethereal nature later on in the pod here. But 
we're all competing. So the idea that that this one moment is going to make or break us or define us or somehow that's going to be the thing that we're hanging our hat on seems a bit strange, really, because at the end of the day, the, the idea of competition in my mind and, and, and more importantly, in my experience, has been as a part of the path to a life of achievement, not the life of achievement itself. Hugh, you grew up in New Zealand. You started your sporting career there. You referred to this evolution in, in your last answer there. Mm. And then you moved to America, to countries that perhaps engage with the concept of competition differently. But when on that journey did this idea start to become important to you? Well, yeah, you're right. I think I, I don't know what it is to live in New Zealand today. Obviously, I haven't lived there recently, but we we visit enough and, and I've still got plenty of mates there. But, yeah, when I was growing up, uh, I, I wasn't raised in a house where sport was really a thing. You know, what competitive, neither of my parents played competitive sport. Uh, I think mum and dad were just happy that I was out of the house and wasn't under their feet, you know. So um, as as sport took on more for me, uh, you know, they supported it, but they were never, you know, they, they could care less. They just loved me and hoped that I was happy. And, you know, that was about it. And I don't say that begrudgingly. I just think that was the circumstance that I was raised in. And, and certainly when I was growing up, it felt like the narrative in New Zealand around uh, the idea of excelling or, or competing and, and achieving was very much rooted in this idea of tall poppy syndrome, which the, the idea that, you know, if you're the tall poppy, you get cut down to size pretty quick, that you shouldn't stick your neck out. Um, and, and there was a lot of humility and, and all of that. And there's nothing wrong with those concepts. It was just a different socialization around competition. And yeah, you come to America and it's different, isn't it? I mean, it's the first of all, it's the capital of capitalism. Um, and so you're competing in in every part of life. You know, I mean, the, the idea that we're going to compete in business and in school and 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 sport, obviously, uh, very, very different and not necessarily bad, but I had to learn how to how to be a part of that, how to plug into that operating system. Uh, and then obviously you know, was able to learn how to excel within that operating system. And and the way that I was able to do that um, was to really figure out how to frame or, or give perspective to what this notion of competing was and and what that really meant. And and obviously that perspective or that framework was was rooted in my my socialization growing up in New Zealand around teams and, and connecting and collaboration. But understanding that there was a place for for both of those, I'd say if you know if New Zealand was too far on the whole, like, hey, we're all in it together, and and no one of us really gets to do it. Whereas America was like, hey, we've got to be number one or else kind of thing. And and somewhere in the middle, there was this kind of idea of like, hey, there's a there's a place where both of these concepts are really valuable, have value adds, and they actually have a point of connection that that I think is is bigger than than the two parts. You know, I think the sum is is greater than than those two concepts separately. So how do your teams, when they're out on the court, how do they experience this focus on competitive excellence? Well, there's a lot of elements to it. As we said, there's a lot of things you can control. But it's this idea, one, that um, we, we've this is what we've signed up for, to compete. So 
when, when you compete, there's going to be a time where it gets big, where, where your season's on the line or your quadrennial's on the line or, or whatever it is, you know. And so being able to prepare for that and accept that as part of what you sign up for versus seeing that as the exception, you know, being prepared for the, the big moment, I think that's part of it. Um, but also just understanding the value of getting in into the contest itself. Um, you know, when it, when you look at competition or or the idea of to compete, the, the Latin definition of that is to strive with or to strive together, right? And yet the societal narrative around competition is just kind of strive against. So what, what the root is saying is, hey, you know, it's you and your opponent uh, battling for the betterment of each other to try to bring out the best in each other. And I think anyone that's competed uh, for a long time or, or anyone that's competed at all could probably speak to a moment where the opponent or the contest itself or the environment uh, evoked a, a response, a performance from them that was greater than something they could produce on their own. And when you think about that as a place to start, that's kind of an external motivator. Um, but maybe the ultimate form of competing is to be able to bring that into an internal motivation so that you can compete with yourself. The idea that goals can be markers for, for you competing with yourself for the betterment of yourself. And that can drive you to better performances. I mean, that's kind of a, an interesting idea in and of itself. So again, who gets to define me? Well, it's not my opponent because if we play a, a, an average opponent, then to win, I've got to be a little bit better than average. That seems like um, a less than optimal life pursuit, the, the little bit better than average pursuit. But the idea of pursuing excellence where I'm trying to become the best I can be, well, that seems like I'm honoring my commitment to my, my life circumstance. And, and maybe there's a chance for me to derive satisfaction and enjoyment and, and uh, I don't know, some kind of profound depth of of uh, humanity in those moments versus just going through the motions and trying to get the W because we some, somehow think the win, the win is all that, that matters. So anyway, your question was on a different slant. How do you get teams to connect to that? Well, first is you got to frame it. You've got to help them understand that, okay, we're going to live in the arena. We've signed up to compete. Uh, we've got to have physical skills that are, uh, up to scratch, so we got to know what it looks like to be successful in this in this environment relative to the goals that we've set. So, okay, um, we need these skills to be executed at this level of of performance. Knowing that some skills correlate more highly to winning than others, so we got to know where we're going to put our eggs and what baskets, kind of thing. Maybe combined with that, we've got skill acquisition, but we also have to apply it. So it's not one thing just to learn how to do that skill in a vacuum, in a controlled environment. We've got to be able to do it in a game-like environment because the game is the game or the sport is the sport in a sport-like environment. Let's use that. So that's part of it. And then we've got to deal with emotional control, all the ideas that if we're going to compete, maybe it's going to be in front of some fans there's going to be someone on the other side of the net. There's going to be a ref. Maybe it's going to be on TV. I don't know. All these other external factors that are part of it. Maybe they're going to talk trash. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're going to be better than us. Maybe they're not. Maybe we've got a plan and we think it's going to work. And maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. All the different variables. So it's that idea of like, hey, we are preparing ourselves and planning 
to be at our best when our best is needed. And then in the moment, we've learned to be able to compensate and adjust to whatever circumstance might arise. To me, that's competing, being at your best when your best is needed relative to what is, not relative to what you expect. And, and so much of this narrative around competition and the outcome and the idea that that's, that's when you arrive, when you win the medal or you win the championship or you do that, that somehow life's going to be different. That's the false narrative because that expectation isn't right. Um, sure, life's better when you win. Uh, and it's and it's and it stings when you lose, right? I mean, as in there's that moment of oh, we won, that's great. Oh, we lost, that sucks, and it does. But pursuing excellence and and this idea of winning, they're not mutually exclusive. It's just a way to understand that given that losing is an occupational hazard of someone that competes for a living, you're gonna have to have to find ways to to reconcile that, to deal with that and to keep moving forward. And even if you win all the time, well, winning can mask a lot of problems. So, you know, you've still got to pay attention to the details even when you're successful. So there you go, probably more than you wanted, but but I've been thinking about this a lot. It's a, it's a big topic. I love the definition of being at your best when your best is needed. And it actually links to, to this competitive excellence definition that you also gave, because in the second part of that definition, you say, defining who you're going to be in those moments. And it's these these moments, these leadership moments that interest me greatly. And I'm wondering if I could ask you about the key moments that you've identified and whether or not you actually worked through who you wanted to be in those moments. Right, right. Well, listen, to your point, we can all be good when it's easy to be good. That's nothing special. I mean, what's really championship behavior or whatever is this idea of like, can we be good when it's really hard, when it's difficult, when it's, when we don't get the call or, or the opponent's better or the, it's raining or well, I don't know, whatever it is, some kind of circumstance beyond our control presents itself. And we've got to be able to figure out a way to do it, even though it's not easy and it's not pleasant and it's uncomfortable. Can we lean into that and figure out a way to get the job done? I mean, that's profoundly satisfying. And that's to me, what champions do. Again, being good when it's easy to be good, that's nothing special, right? nothing special at all. So when I was thinking about my evolution as an athlete, particularly, I was, I was, um, I was, I had some physical talents and abilities, you know, I mean, uh, but I wasn't particularly skilled. I started playing volleyball. I fell in love with volleyball later than most people. I was 15 when I started. And so, um, especially when I came to the States, you know, I was really raw and I had this talent, but I didn't have much skill to go with it. So I always felt like I was playing catch up and, and it was really, um, it became this consuming thing. And then on top of that, uh, you know, I, I was like, man, am I good enough? Am I not good enough? Like we all have those moments. Right. But then on top of that, um, you know, uh, I was, I'd left my home, I'd left my, my family and, and, and they were investing financially and, and, you know, we weren't living high off the hog by any means. And so it was a sacrifice for my mum to be able to do this. My, my father had passed away a few years before that. And so it, it wasn't like it was this small thing to just come and chase this life passion. There were all kinds of investments and sacrifices that were made. And so I, where I'm going with this is I felt like there was a lot of pressure. Like I really had to make something of this. 
And there were people that were like, oh, you're stupid for going to the States. What are you doing? You know, like, you know, because again, how dare you think that you're better than someone else? Like, why should I go to the States and someone else not? So it was just a lot for my little, whatever, 20-year-old brain to process. And and I spent a couple of years trying to figure it out. And not that it, it was a big deal, but at the time it was. I, I, I used to play in the middle as a middle blocker, which is a kind of a blue collar, you know, jump, jump and hit, do a little blocking. That's about it. And then when I got to the States, they asked if I would play as an outside hitter. Uh, and I ended up playing as an opposite, but, but I had to learn a whole bunch of new skills and it, and it was very uncomfortable and, and that added to the whole thing. Right. So not only I was playing out of position, I was playing out of country or out of domicile or whatever, the whole thing was out of whack. All right. So I get to the end of it. I'm in my last year and, and I really struggle with the mental game because I think, like I said, I, I, I had, I had a lot of expectations that I wasn't able to control. I was dealing with a lot of emotional stuff that I wasn't mature enough to figure out in terms of how to ma manage the moment of competition. And I just remember early in that last year being in a game and, and it was a very specific moment. And it was back in those days, we're still playing side out scoring and, and um, I don't know, I think it was like 13 all or whatever in the first set. And I roll up to left front. Uh, we we went up. We we side out. And we rotate. And and there were times where honestly, and I say this honestly, you know, thirty years removed from it or whatever, thirty three years removed. But I would be like, hey, I sure hope I don't get set right now because the game's on the line or whatever it was. You know what I mean? And I was just like, oh, it, it, I didn't know if my poor little heart could handle any more heartache. You know, of of coming up short in those big moments. But then I very clearly remember having this 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 moment of like, no, I'm I'm not going to do that. I've worked too hard. I've invested too much. I'm not. I'm not going to succumb to it. And maybe that's not what the narrative was or the thought was, but that's what I'm telling you. I mean, that's that was the idea. Like, no, enough. I'm going to enjoy this. I've put my I've put everything I've got into this into being successful in this arena. I'm not going to somehow let the moment define me. I get to at least enjoy it, you know. So I I took a breath, um, smiled. All right, here we go. And sure enough, they sent me the ball, and I happened to kill it. And then I blocked the ball. And we happened to win the set. And my athletic career was different after that, after that moment. And so. It comes down to this idea of like, I know from personal experience that those moments are going to happen. And what you do with them can really influence what happens next. Now, we didn't win every game and we didn't win a championship. But all I knew is that in my personal journey of me competing with myself, managing my emotions, my, my hopes, my dreams, my fears, my insecurities, all of that stuff, that I was able to say, no, I can do it. And I've, I've, I, and I did. And so I found that incredibly freeing and liberating, and I would dare say even life-changing, Paul. So why not try to share that with others? Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I love this idea of this critical moment going on to shape the way that you think about the mental approach to the game. And I'm going to pick up pick that up with you in another conversation another day because I think we could probably fill an hour with that one. And I know in the book you actually pull apart the key mental skills that athletes need to develop. So I'm going to save that one, Hugh, and not go yeah. off on a tangent right now because I, I want to keep going on competitive excellence. And one of the things that you do a lot of in the book and also when I hear you you, you talk is that you, 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 you speak about your own experience at the Olympics – traveling internationally, playing around the world, but you also bring in research. You also mm. bring in social science and things that you've read to just give it that extra level of, I guess, authenticity or support. And I'm wondering, has there been anything that you've read on competitive excellence, any research or social science that you've read that reinforces some of the central ideas you've been talking about? Well, yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's some social science, but there's also some science science. I mean, you know, we want to be in motor learning exercise physiology and, and all of that stuff as well as, yeah, some of this idea around what it is to compete. You know, one of the books I really like about competition is this book, True Competition by uh, Shields and Bredemeyer. And, uh, you know, in their construct, they talk about these two ideas of kind of competition and decompetition where where decompetition is this idea of kind of the one or the zero. You know, you win and you get all the resources or you lose and you get none of the resources, whereas competition is this idea of, you know, driving um, improvement or innovation, even evolution through through the contest and, and improving oneself through through this, this mechanism of competition. Um, but most of the book – I. Uh, yeah, there's some anecdote in there. I I I really wanted to to be more about the science of achievement and how that's applied in the day to day because to me that was the big space. Like I tell you, that's I share that story with you uh, about my athletic experience. I, I don't think I've ever shared it with anyone, but I share that with you because in my mind, when I was putting the book together, I was like, man, I really wish someone would have helped me with that, or I wish I could have known about these things before and it would have helped me. So that's why. The book was written for athletes and for coaches and for parents of athletes. So it wasn't, it, it's not, it's not a book of anecdote, although there is story in there. It's it's a book about here's the here's the science of achievement, and here's a way that it all is connected from the moment of inception to like here's the thing we hope to achieve to the moment of achievement itself. And um I thought having something that was comprehensive, kind of a, a soup to nuts approach to that was something I'd never seen. So so that was the driving force behind it. I think it's fascinating because there's been many guests that we've interviewed. I can think just off the top of my head, Gary Kirsten, the World Cup cricket winning coach, Sue Enquist, Kevin Sharp, the cricket coach. Many of them have talked about this, this, as you described, this critical moment when they found their mental skills not at the level they needed. And in some instances, that 
forced them down a journey to go and figure out what it was and how it related to competition. And then there's your example where it seems like you were able to grasp it in the moment and then fold it into your philosophy going forward, which is totally fascinating, Hugh. But enough about me. I want to talk a little bit more about competitive excellence in the family environment because I'm the father of two girls. They play social sports, but they are fierce debaters, fierce (laughs) And it's in de- in their debate where the focus on the result first seems to really come through. And I've read a lot about, you know, uh, trying to raise children and, and, and there's a lot written um, about this idea of balancing competitiveness with empathy, particularly with mm. your, your raising daughters. I'm just wondering how you've applied this idea of competitive excellence in your own family. Well, yeah, I... Um, my wife and I, we have a couple of kids and, and we're, we're trying to do our best to raise them as well. And, and it's, it's complicated um, as in uh, when you go through the, the idea of your journey, you tend to want to parent the way you were parented, but there's been a little bit of time and between when you're a kid and, and when you're parenting and, and the world's different and the social pressures are different. The environments are different. So, so you really, again, you're, you're compensating and adjusting as you go along and you're trying to figure it out. But the principles, and maybe that's the best approach to, to this idea of, of competitive excellence, is this idea that the principles of e- excellence relative to applying scientific rigor to your methodology uh, don't really change. It's their application that change. And so I would say it was probably similar in the parenting space, like the principles of trying to develop good human beings, well, they haven't changed. It's just the environment that we're trying to apply them in has changed. And I think that's really the the critical element of leadership these days is being able to uh, meet people where they're at, have a really clear idea of your guiding principles because they they serve as this wonderful evaluative criteria for all the stuff that's out there. And we know there's a lot of stuff out there, but finding stuff that that rings true and uh, and then figuring out how to how to apply it to the people under your charge. In this case, our children. And so I'm I'm thankfully to my kids. I'm dad, and I'm prone to all all of the frailties of that condition. Right. And um, and I'm not perfect, but I'm doing the best I can to love them and 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 raise them and try to point out. Maybe a different approach when I can, but um, I promise you, they're not somehow entrenched in some framework for competitive excellence <laughs> or some rigorous program of upbringing. I'm just trying to love them and hug them and and point them in the right direction. And you know, if there's anything, I, I spoke earlier about the fact that my parents weren't particularly they they were invested in me, but they didn't care about my sport. And I think. Even though at the time I was like, oh, you know, all the other parents were there watching their kids. Why, you know, my mum and dad were off gardening or whatever, you know. Um, but as I see that, I, I saw there, were, there was actually some really profound freedoms in that. And what I mean is that it, it was my thing. They let me have it. And it wasn't their thing trying to be expressed through me. You know what I mean? Which I think oftentimes can be a deal, and especially in youth sport. They let me have it, and so I nurtured this love of and this like because you got to have your head and your heart involved in these things. I was able to nurture that on my own, and 
and I'm really trying to give our kids and I'd say my wife is too, give them the the space and the freedom to to find what it is they want to chase. And yeah, obviously give them boundaries and, and all the rest of it. We're not there to be their best friends. We're trying to be their best parents, but give them some guidelines as well. But yeah, have them find, find their passion and, and, and see what they want to do with it. Because, you know, ultimately it's their journey, just like um, we've been fortunate enough to have this one. You, there'll be people listening that are thinking, like me, probably at this point, oh, am I focusing too much on the output? Is it the process? Where should I be finding that that line? And 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 my context is is a business environment. I don't coach sport mm. teams. I'm not involved with them, but I'm fascinated by them, and I'm fascinated by the leadership of those teams. But if someone was listening and they wanted to bring a focus or just slightly lift the focus on competitive excellence into their team or organisation, where would you advise them to start? Well, to me, it comes down to this idea, like I said, we're all, whether we like it or not, we're all competing, right? And the way I view it is the thing we're competing against is time. That's the race we're running. Because uh, it, maybe this is just me and I'm a bit nuts, who knows, or maybe I'm not. But it seems to me like, okay, we're here. Well, if we're going to be here, let's be here. As in we're on earth, we get, and, and I'm I'm not into uh, you know, reincarnation or whatever. So I just reckon we've got one spin on the rock. So let's go go big and see what we can do. And and most importantly, what I mean by that is, like, let's try to make it better than we found it. You know, that seems to me that's the responsibility we have because we're all standing on the shoulders of those that came before us. But we should try to make it a little bit better, right? So to that end, when you're thinking about, well, where does it start? We're running this race against time. We have no idea where the finish line is because you never know, right? But the finish line is your last breath. We've no idea where that's coming. I'm not trying to be somber or whatever. I'm just being realistic. So to that end, I better try to have some good todays so that when I get to the finish line, whenever that is, I feel like I ran a pretty good race. That's empowering. That feels like uh, we're helping people to do it right that way. They take responsibility for the things they can in, in the competitive equation. They do their best, give best effort, best intention with best practice methods. And uh, hopefully we, we leave it a little better than we found it. I think leaving things a little bit better than we found them is probably a good place to finish. So Hugh, great to chat with you again. Loved some of the ideas in competitive excellence. And I think a lot of them are applicable to our lives at home, at work, and on the sporting field too. So. Thank you very much. And I look forward to getting you back on the podcast again to explore that that element of the mental game. Sounds great, mate. I really appreciate it. I really do. Thanks. Hi, everyone. You've been listening to the great coach, Hugh McCutcheon, talk about his new book, Championship Behaviours. It's the third time now we've interviewed Hugh, and every time I learn something new. This time, the key takeouts for me were... The idea that your life will be different when you win is a false narrative, as the idea of winning and pursuing excellence are not mutually exclusive. How winning can actually mask a lot of problems, and how the critical moments you face as an athlete will shape the way you approach leadership in the future. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. Just like David Berry, who after listening to our James Kerr interview on Legacy said, Teamwork makes the dream work. It's a leadership legacy. 
It certainly does. Thanks, David. We appreciate your support. It's the interaction with people from around the world who listen give us great energy. All the details on how you can connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.